morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. It's a great Sunday to be here with you and worship alongside of you. As people are still coming in, let's stand together and let's already begin proclaiming our thanks and our praises to God. Recognizing, recognizing our God as creator and redeemer of all things in life. Let's lift our voice and sing holy, holy, holy. Sing with us. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to before you and bow in front of your presence today. We exalt you as king and as creator of all things. God, we offer ourselves and our lives to you that you would shape it, that you would form us into beings of Christ, into ambassadors of peace and of hope. So Lord, we look to you. Would you renew us? Would you shape us and form us? Would you open my eyes to your wonders new And capture my heart with this love Cause nothing on earth is as beautiful as you Oh, would you open my eyes to your wonders new And capture my heart with this love Cause nothing on earth is as beautiful as
capture my heart with this love Cause nothing on earth is as beautiful as you Oh, lift up your prayer, your life Open my eyes to your wonders new And capture my heart with this love Cause nothing on earth is as beautiful as you First Church. My name is Matt Wilson. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it is good to be with you this morning. We got a few things going on this morning and in this coming weeks that I'd like for you to know about. First off, if you are new with us, if this is your 100th time, we'd love for you to let us know that you're here. You can use your smartphone, uh, you can hover it on the screen, or you can hover it on the bulletin that you have, um, may have received coming in. And it will bring you to a very short Google Doc. Let us know that you're here. If you have any prayer requests, this is a great way for you to communicate with your uh, church staff, anything that's going on that you'd like prayer for. In addition to that, we had a, a wonderful time of service uh, yesterday in the youth room. Uh, over 30 people were involved in uh, packing and getting ready 100 hygiene kits to be given to uh, uh, loaves and fishes so that they can help serve the unsheltered population here in our community. Thank you all for your involvement, for your giving, for your participation in that. It was a wonderful turnout. Thank you so much. This congregation really shows up for those who are in need. And it's wonderful to see that. Uh, upcoming this week, we have our normal adult you stuff going on. We have got choir, we've got kids you, we've got... Um, uh, adult you showing up and this coming Wednesday in adult you uh, Joe Clemens will be with us uh, sharing with us some tools in how we might think about and pray with intercessory prayer would love to invite you into that we uh, gather together at 630 as everything else starts in the fireside area in Brown would invite you into that as well Easter week is coming up not this Sunday obviously but next Sunday is Palm Sunday uh, following that, on April 7th, we will have our Good Friday service in Brown Chapel, where we uh, commemorate, we think about, and meditate on the cross and Christ's death. And then on Saturday, we show up here at our church for our Easter jam. All the kids, there's going to be egg hunts, and there's going to be a bounce house. There's going to be all the sidewalk chalk going on to invite you and your families to that as a part of our gathering. And then Easter morning, 1030, we will be in Brown Chapel celebrating the resurrection of Christ. 
in addition to that, a week after that, we will have our women's tea, April 15th. Invite you into that as well. All that can be found online or talking to Shannon Heffernan. At this time, I would invite you into an exercise that we as a church participate in, in fellowshipping together. We pass the peace of Christ between us. We offer that peace just as Christ offers us peace. So the peace of Christ be with you. As we continue to move into a time of worship, we come together in fellowship. We come together to fellowship, not only together, but to fellowship with Christ. One of the ways that we're going to invite you into fellowshipping with Christ this morning is by uh, the stations that we've set up on either side of the room. You may have noticed there's some projectors with different prayers. Just as we have these prayer stations on either side, of, with candles, that we light a candle as a symbol of our prayer to God. We've developed these stations on either side for you to participate in at any point this morning. There's going to be about three more uh, songs of worship, and you're welcome to meditate on the, the prompts. Thinking about hope and lament, how they are held in tension together, not just uh, in our lives, but in the scripture. So I invite you into a time of reflection, using these prompts, using these stations to write those prayers. You can then roll up the prayer and stick it in the A-frames on this side and on the sign over here. This is a time for you to meditate on the presence of God, both in our struggle, in our darkness, as well as our hope for Christ to come not just at the end of time, but at each day in our lives. At this moment, I will read Psalm 130 as we continue in worship. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you might be revered. I wait for the Lord. 
my soul waits, and in his hope I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who rede will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. The word of the Lord. And all who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy as deep cries out to deep we sing come lord jesus come come lord jesus put our faith, our trust, and our hope in you, Lord. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, and everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my 
still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense, so I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength, because I built my life on of no hope where God brought hope, when things were broken where God brought restoration into your life. Give thanks to God for bringing you where you are today, and let us have great anticipation for the way in which God will move with us in the future.
many ways to see God's faithfulness, and I think one of the most beautiful ways is in our children, and how they develop over time, and how they learn and they grow, and this morning, we have a great opportunity as we send our students and our kids to children's church, we will be able to pray over them and give them our blessing, so would you read and pray with me these words coming out of Philippians 1. This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. And may you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen, kids. As they are being dismissed, we will be continuing our worship with a scripture reading. Out of John 11, verses 1 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were, there, who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her were also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he op who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I uh, show up and everybody leaves. Um, thank you, Praise Band. Thank you, everyone. It's always great to worship with you. My name is Dee, and uh, one of the pastors here who gets the privilege this morning of digging into this passage with you. And uh, as part of that, one who gets just to enjoy being with you. I love passing the peace. I love watching our children. I love the music together. Just wonderful to be together this morning, and uh, thank you. For those of you who are guests, welcome to this place. I hope you feel like this can be a home for you, or a home away from home, or a place to visit if you're from out of town. Um, and I hope we make you feel welcome in every way. And I would say to you, if this is your first time, or 
for some 10,000th time, I think. I hope you walk away from this place knowing your love, that the creator of the universe pursues you with a message of, I love you, I love you, I love you. And as we dig into this passage in John, it feels like over and over again, that notion just jumps off the page. There are some ways in which this is kind of an invitation to a wake or a memorial service. Because we have a gentleman by the name of Lazarus, who we find out is already in a tomb. I, I, just because of my vocation, I had the opportunity to attend um, and be part of services, be they wakes or memorial services or funerals or a variety of other terms that we sometimes refer to as a celebration of life service. And there are so many different unusual things that happen in those moments. One of the ones that has stuck with me for decades is one that happened to an acquaintance of my father who passed away after uh, um, just a, a wonderful full life, um, a wonderful churchman. And at the funeral home where there was going to be a viewing, which is a bit more common in the Midwest than it is here, but that certainly is part of some traditions here as well. Uh, before the viewing actually began, his son came into the funeral home to make sure everything was prepared correctly and called over the funeral director and said, um, this isn't my dad. And the funeral director, I don't know, maybe having apparently run into that a few times when people are not recognizing the work they had done to prepare the body, explained, I understand that we work real hard to try and um, create as best we can a presence that makes sense. And so I, I'm sorry if we didn't quite meet your expectations. And he said, no, I'm, I understand all of that. I'm trying to tell you this isn't my dad. And again, trying to just reassure and do the wonderful funeral director, let me hold you in this moment kind of thing. He said, no, let me prove it. And he unbuttoned the shirt and he said, my dad has had open heart surgery. There's no scar here. This is not my father. And it turned out that there had been confusion apparently in a um, switching of bodies and his father had mistakenly been cremated. Thank you. Oh, is right. <laughs> Appropriate response. Well done. <laughs> but what was wonderful was the son sent out a no notification to friends right away that said, don't exactly know how my dad did it, but many of you know that he was very strong-willed. His desire was that he would be cremated, and as a family, we chose not to, but Dad got his way. <laughs> that has stuck with me for a long, long time. We're invited into 
a moment with disciples and friends and Jews that have come from Jerusalem and other communities. They are grieving together. And Jesus, Jesus is on the move. Let's wander into this story a little bit further. See where maybe it takes you. Maybe it takes you a different place than it takes me. But I encourage you this morning, wander with Jesus into this story that is so very powerful. And I've said the last several weeks, we have to remember there's a writer of this gospel that also is trying to convey to a community of faith with which or with whom he's very, very familiar. It's this community of believers, sometimes generations later, referred to as the Johannine community. He is this disciple who has lived longer than the other disciples, is writing a gospel to a community that's in a different place than the community was 10 years sooner, 20 years sooner, 30 years sooner. And this address, this good news has a different way by which it soaks into the lives of the people to whom he's writing. And one of the things that I would love for you to hear this morning, in addition to you are loved, is that the good news soaks in in different ways at different times. It's still the same good news. But as your circumstances change, the way it works through the pebbles of your life, the stones of your journey, and touches the spots where you need touched, where you need hope, where you need healing, where you need comfort. That's what the good news does. And John is conveying this message. And in this chapter, chapter 11, which is literally the center of the book, 10 chapters before, 10 chapters follow, it's also a turning point. So it's in a literary, well, literally in a literary sense, the center of the book as well, because that which precedes it is all about light and dark and contrast, and all that follows is about glory. Jesus coming into his glory, the glory of that which is to come. The light and dark language and metaphors is abundant in the first half. It almost disappears in terms of its mention in the second half. There are references, but it's just to remind you it seems. Glory is hardly mentioned at all in the first half, and now we hear it over and over and over again. This is a turning point. It also seems to me that it is a powerful turning point in Jesus' journey with those who have come close to follow who have sensed that there's something happening here. Who don't know how to describe the phrase, Jesus is on the move. <laughs> Everything in John's gospel that leads to this moment is very 
public, there are seven major miracles that take place. There is a, a movement that we have of Jesus unveiling who he is through these powerful I am statements. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And here we find Jesus as the resurrection. In two, three more chapters, in 14, we'll hear Jesus say to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one steps into this apart from what I am teaching you through me. It is this pathway of love and grace and salvation and forgiveness through which all things need to move. And Jesus' ministry really seems to take a shift from this very public approach to a very concentrated teaching and engagement with disciples and followers. Oh, the interaction, the prayers, the conversations that happen from this point on. They're personal. And it feels like as part of that transaction or transition, Jesus gets personal. The language in this chapter, I'd love for you to go back and look at the ways in which Jesus' emotions, the humanity of Jesus, rises to the surface. It's palatable. It says Jesus is moved. It references the people whom Jesus loves. Jesus is the one who is described as the one who weeps. Oh, if you can't touch Jesus' humanity in this chapter, I invite you to just more reflection in your own journey. I didn't know, I didn't know how to end that sentence. It, it, it was going to be rhetorical, but I couldn't even finish it. This is the place. where our humanity meets the Creator's humanity. Where Jesus feels what we feel. And maybe in a small way in this moment, we might feel what Jesus felt. You see, these are people that have become like family to Jesus. When the message is sent that Lazarus is sick, the reference is the one whom you love, Jesus. I don't think it was manipulative. Like, you love this one, so come here quickly. It's just, that's the language they use with Jesus. We love you, we know you love us. Just wanted you to know, Lazarus isn't doing well. I wonder if by the time the message got to Jesus that Lazarus was already dead, because it says that Jesus waited two days before he went. I don't know how long he took to travel, but when he got there, they said that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. It's not like you pick up a cell phone in that era. You send a message, and it takes a while to get there. But Jesus delays two days 
I don't know all the reasoning behind it. He does say an interesting line to them. It's a line you've probably heard before. It's the line that says, and he's asleep, referring to Lazarus. Now, it certainly was another way by which to reference death, but, but there is something in the language that distinguishes those who believe that there is something after death from those who don't. Because sleep is temporary. Sleep is a notion of something from which you eventually awake. And there is a powerful message that Jesus is saying he's asleep. There is a short-term response to that and a long-term. Jesus has this insight that God's going to, in this moment, Jesus as God is going to do something profound in a resuscitation of the one who is now dead. But there is also a message that there is something greater than death. And I would love for you to hear that the one we serve sees through death to what is beyond. That is so hard for us to do. And we can talk about this in the big picture, a person's final breath, death. We can also look at it in so many of the little things that happen in our life that contain death. The death of a dream, the death of hope, the death of a relationship, the death of an opportunity, the loss of time. All of these things feel like a, a little death within us. Here again, in the big picture and in the small picture, Jesus invites us to see through death to what's beyond. It reminds me of those who are wonderful scientists and have been working for a long, long time in physics to come up with a, phys a, a unified principle within physics of both the large, large, large macro and the minutia of as small as you can get with the tiniest particles. And there are physics principles that help us to understand both, but they have been working for so many years to try and come up with a principle that works in both arenas. I think about that often when I think about principles that get applied. And it came to mind again in this moment that what God does on a grand scale, God does in the minutia of my life. The love that's eternal in creation is the love that's small enough to touch the little piece that hurts. It is a unified principle within God. It's dependable. It's certain. It's solid foundation that God is consistent in the large, in the small, in the you and in the me, in the other and in that other, in this place and in that place, God's consistent. God is 
faithful. God is love. God is gracious. God is forgiving. That principle holds and holds and holds. And Jesus invites the characters in this story and us to see through that which is temporal into that which is eternal. What is that for you this, this morning that kind of blocks the sight? And Jesus says, I am the light. What is it that you can't see beyond because of the circumstances? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When those circumstances become so overwhelming, it is an invitation. An invitation to take your eyes off of the circumstances. Doesn't mean they go away. They'll be there when you come back and start ruminating again. Trust me. But take your eyes off of the circumstances and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of our faith who for the glory set before him laid his life down on behalf of us. We never deserved it. Weren't smart enough to even ask for it. And yet Jesus did before our asking. I love Eugene Peterson's notion that salvation is not Jesus' solution to the problem. No, salvation is Jesus' narration into life. He speaks through relationships. He speaks through compassion. He seeks out moments, and he just speaks words of grace. He narrates salvation into circumstances by the way he lives. Not as a solution but as an expression of what God has woven into the creation, the very fabric in which we walk daily. That's what Christ has done for us and invites us to do the same. I, I, there's, this is such a long reading. It's tough to get through all of it, but I, I would like to jump to the end of the story. Jesus makes a pronouncement for Lazarus to come out. Apparently, he can't move the stone from the inside, so he suggests others maybe should move the stone on behalf. And Lazarus comes out. It is a foreshadowing of that which is about to take place with our Creator. Not a resuscitation, but a resurrection. But this is unlike some of the previous miracles in this book. I mean, he'd been in the grave for four days. But can I just mention something that I find incredibly curious? Jesus commands, the stones move, Lazarus comes out, still bound, hand and foot, and Jesus commands them to remove the grave cloths. The creator of the universe, who is able to, to bring about Lazarus's resuscitation to life again, 
couldn't remove the grave clothes in the process? Doesn't that seem odd to you? But doesn't it also seem odd to you that when we come into contact with Jesus and all things begin to change, that there are all over us things that have the stench of destruction and death and pain and hurt, woundedness. Jesus is the great healer, but in this moment, Jesus commands those, help him. Help him with the grave clothes. He's rebuilding community. Participate in that which is painful and destructive, removing those things because they have the stench of death to them. For one another, hold each other. This family that was broken by death, that had, has meant so much to him, a place where he found safety. I, I don't know if Jesus needed that, but it just seems like it. I mean, this is where he reclined, where he visited. It, this, is, this is the family he loves, loves Mary and Martha. We haven't even heard the story yet, but John tells us ahead of time that this is the same Mary that pours the perfume on his feet, wipes it with, his, with her hair, and, and Jesus says about that, she's prepared me for that which she either intuitively knows or actually somehow has captured a vision or has listened closely to him, prepared him for his own burial with this. Mary? Wow! And Jesus finds this as a hospitable place to be. And he enfolds Lazarus back into this family and community Families aren't always easy. Friendships aren't always easy. But Jesus invites us into that very place to hold one another, to try and work through the things that tear us apart and say, oh, what is it that holds us together? What is it that holds us? Nothing less and probably I need to add nothing more than the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I don't know your journey in this moment. But I know that very often what makes us human is that we live simultaneously in a place of lament and hope. It's not like one makes the other disappear. Jesus weeps. You ever wonder? He knows what's about to happen. But there is lament over pain and hurt. Jesus also invites to hold the lament 
but turn toward the resurrection, the light, the living water, the host at the banqueting table, the one who knows you most and loves you best. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What a beautiful hymn. May this morning the good news seep into the pebbles of your life in a fresh new way. May the good news reach the place that it needs to reach in your journey. And may you know you are loved. 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 I'm going to invite the band to come play a song of reflection for us. May you sense God's Spirit right where you meet it this morning. Oh Lord. You gave us space. Inspiring those who have gone before us to offer the resources to build a place that we could gather in. Some of those people are here right now. You gave us a heritage of those who believe there's something powerful in your name and in your grace and your teachings and your creation that have taught us and loved us and held us. Lord, we come not just with pains and hurts, but sometimes we come with anger, resentment, sometimes to the very place that has hurt. So in this moment, as we have offered our worship our readings, our prayers. We've placed some of them in the walls and signs that say, may you be lifted up. May love seep into the crevices of our journey. May it saturate the woundedness and somehow move our eyesight to an empty grave, to a resurrection power, to a hope that gives birth to love within us that knows no end, no limitation, no boundary, no obstacle too big. Oh God, may we give ourselves to that as we try and love one another in you. We praise your wonderful name, O oh Lord. Amen. God of my present, God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together. God of my present, God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together.
invite you all to stand so that I might offer a benediction over you and a blessing as well. Wherever your journey is, I pray that Jesus just speaks over you, that you might hear Jesus' words of love and forgiveness and grace because Jesus narrates the good news in our life. So this day, this morning, may you hear the words over you. You are mine. I love you. And we are sent by that same one who narrates out into the world, whatever you face, may you be reminded that God is there never leaving you, never forsaking you, but holding you close. So go in God's peace, God's goodness, God's love, and allow God's light to shine through you that you might be the good news as well. Go in God's grace. God bless you.